Hi, friends. I'm Miss Sadie from The Noshery. And I'm Rebecca from Foodie with Family. And welcome to My Plate is Always Full, where we're always, always, always hungry to talk about food. And today, we're maybe a little hungrier than usual to talk about our subject because today we have a boiled in oil deep fried episode. Right. We are talking deep fried foods, how much we love them, and sharing some techniques to make the whole process less messy, less daunting, maybe a little less frightening. There are a lot of people out there that are terrified of deep frying, which I kind of get. You are putting things in hot boiling oil. And a lot of the foods we put in the hot boiling oil, you know, the ones we love the best that are deep fried, have a distinct dressing tendency to kind of pop and sputter when being lowered into the boiling oil. So I get the fear too. But I think you and I both have some great ideas on how to mitigate that risk so that you can deep fry to your heart's desire. So let's, uh, let's talk about all things deep fried. Let's do it. our weekly Rebecca lesson. This is what I get for being friends with a homeschooling mom, deep fried science lessons, which I'm okay with. So Rebecca, please proceed. Yes. Well, I know we're both nerdy about the science and history of food because I think personally, from my vantage point, it makes food taste even better when I know why it tastes good when we do certain things, right? Uh, jizz. <laughs> 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 okay, so deep deep frying food. Let, let's start by explaining exactly what deep frying is. And it's defined as a process where food is completely submerged in hot oil at temperatures that are typically between 350 degrees Fahrenheit and 375 degrees Fahrenheit, thus rendering anything that you drop into it irresistibly tasty. That's Firm science right there. You are there. legit boiling stuff in oil. Absolutely. Yeah. And somehow it makes it taste infinitely better. It's amazing. In my opinion. It's like magic. It is. It's a yeah. shame. It's so almost sometimes... a shame it's so good. <laughs> I know. It, it really, it, there's been more than one time when I've thought, you know, why is this so tasty? Because I can't stop eating it. So many but things. there, did you know deep frying oil can go into what I see as kind of scary territory, 400 degrees Fahrenheit, maybe like crazy, you'd better have a good vent hood and fire extinguisher handy territory. Yeah, for sure. I think, yeah, I, that- I have boiled, have I boiled, boiled, have I, fried, <laughs> have I fried at a close to four? I think I get, I've, I have fried where I get it up to 400 because when you drop the food in, the temperature drops. Right. So, but that's yeah. like, we'll get into that discussion. Yeah. Which is part of you know, what we're going to cover today is what temperatures you want, what happens when you do it, what you can expect, and why you don't have to be as scared of it as maybe you are. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you can also shallow fry food, which we will get into as well. And that's just simply having enough oil in a frying pan to come partway up the side of whatever it is you're cooking, and flipping it about halfway through the frying process to complete the cooking. Yes. Deep frying, yeah, I prefer 
it's just it's it's we'll talk about when we get into the cooking about shallow versus deep and the benefits of each one. Some of it is just like effort. You don't have to flip it. It is fried. Right. Now, you can also air fry, but we're saving that topic for another show. This that's not today. Today, we are not talking air frying. No matter how much we love it, today is dedicated entirely to boiling things in oil. I use my air fryer and, um, today. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> nope. We are not talking about that. And but but but, but you but. know <laughs> but, but 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 you know I have to toss in a little history lesson because I love history. Yes. So did you know that there's attributable proof that people were deep frying things in classical Greece as early as the fifth century BC? or BCE, depending on how modern you are. <laughs> did you know that? I did not know that. I mean, I I don't know if I would have assumed it. You know what I mean? I mean yeah, they obviously, were, it was a whole were lot deep more frying. work because you had to like render fat and you know what I mean? You can't just like Ooh. go down to the grocery store and pick up a gallon of oil. So Right. But what they were doing was they were actually deep frying in olive oil. So I think that's pretty slick. Ha <laughs> ha. Oil joke. Um, <laughs> sorry. I'll just see myself out. They were, they were deep frying in olive oil, which I think is pretty cool. Actually, it was hot. Oh, gosh. Somebody stop, stop me. Stop. Okay. Okay. All right. I will quit eventually. But while we don't know exactly when every major well-known fried delicacy made its first appearance on the scene. There are a couple of memorable ones we can trace, and I think we should. So I'm guessing if we're talking history and going this far back, we're not going to be touching on the deep fry Oreo or corn dog yet at this point. Oh, we'll get there. We'll get there. (laughs) You're you're giving fried spoilers. Stop it. I'm just sharing what I love. Okay, (laughs) let's... (laughs) Let's start in the 16th century, shall we? In Japan, where tempura was first recorded. Oh, I love tempura. So, oh, you and me both. One of my favorite things to do if I'm going out for sushi is to start the meal with tempura. And then I feel virtuous when I'm eating my sushi. And just real quick, if you don't, if you don't know what tempura is, tempura is a, uh, it's a batter method. It's mostly, it's about the batter. It's a very light, airy batter. And what makes it yes. light and airy is the addition of using some type of carbonated liquid in it, either beer or seltzer or anything that has bubbly will give it this really light texture. Do you know what they were using in Japan in the 16th century I don't, to make it light and fluffy? I don't actually, but it did... That thought did occur to me because myself, when I make it, I use club soda or seltzer. Mm -hmm. Um, I've made it with a light beer before. Maybe they used a naturally carbonated water. There are some carbonated springs. Um, I I don't actually know what they use. That'd be a fun one to look up. Okay. Um, But you may remember from our super popular French fry episode. Yes. That French fried potatoes first made an appearance in Belgium in the 1600s, but they were actually popularized in the mid-1800s throughout France and Belgium. So moving on a little bit from the mid-1800s, we get to the 1890s when everybody's favorite colonel, can we all salute? 
Colonel um, Harlan Sanders, Sanders? Okay. created. <laughs> I was like, Kentucky I was going to make a guess, chicken. but I wasn't 100% sure that's where we were going. <laughs> yeah, he created Kentucky Fried Chicken in 1890, and the world rejoiced. That man was peddling least- buckets of chicken out of the back of his car, going from restaurant to restaurant, trying to sell his secret recipe. And he even came up with the pressure cooker and everything like that to where, where they cook yeah. the fried chicken. So, you know, I think the world owes Colonel Sanders a debt of gratitude, at least until we got to the point in modern history where they invented that double down thing, which I still don't understand. The what thing? Double down at Kentucky Fried Chicken. Is, Do you, is that are the you machine? familiar with this? Or No, the double down is a sandwich where the bread is replaced with two pieces oh, of fried chicken. Oh, I know what you're talking about because I saw an ad one time for it and I was like, huh? <laughs> yeah. I, I'm yeah, sorry. I, say, I look at that and I, I mean, say, Claw? I don't. I don't go to Kentucky Fried Chicken very often. There is a fried chicken joint here in Tennessee called Champies that is legit the best fried chicken I've ever had, hands down. Wait, you ha- you still have not taken me to this well, place. Well, because I feel like everything that's been going on, you haven't been here for me to take you. We'll eat fried chicken next yeah. time you're in town. I promise okay, you. Okay, this is, is this is happening. So this is on the books. It is like... I will hold you to this. It's like... So good. So speaking of deep fried poultry, because everybody loves it, in the 1930s, we have the first recorded deep fried turkeys in Louisiana and in Kentucky. So um, bless them. Have you ever deep fried a turkey, Miss Sadie? No, and I'm laughing because every time I hear, I have never deep fried a turkey. I've never been to a Thanksgiving with a deep fried turkey, like eating it or like along with a deep fried turkey. But- um, as like my date, but I, <laughs> I just always get the visual of, you know, the, what you shouldn't do when you deep fry a turkey. Right. You know what so I mean? So what like you the have in oil. your mind, <laughs> just the, what you have in your mind is the video of the person dropping a frozen turkey into what is about to become an atom bomb. Yeah. That projectiles through the yard and then, you know, yeah, yeah, that whole thing. So, okay, well, I'm going to tell you, I've boiled in oil a few turkeys. I have indeed deep fried Probably 10 turkeys in my lifetime. How long and does they, a turkey have to oh, fry? Not long. Again, you know, this is the same formula you would put in for any other method of cooking a turkey. It depends on the weight of your turkey, right? Uh-huh. Uh, but let's say an average 12 to 15 pound turkey takes less than an hour. Okay, that's what I was going to ask, if it's less than if you were to do it in the oven. It is absolutely less than if you were to put it in the oven. And Lord have mercy, the skin on those fried turkeys is one of the tastiest things on the face of the earth. Like, I would elbow my grandmother out of the way to get to that thing. Dude, your grandma, that's harsh. (laughs) I well, the thing is, my grandma would probably have elbowed me back to get to it because she also liked turkey. Um, but they're so, so good. But anyway, one let's day move I'll on try to something. Mm-hmm. Okay, maybe we'll fry one together oh. sometime. Because it's an outdoor thing, um, so it doesn't yeah, stink up I'm your house. Yeah, I'm not doing it in the house. I do know that, <laughs> at least. Well, no, what kind of moron is going to fry a turkey in their house? I, I I'm sorry know. if anybody out there has done that. I am going to question... <laughs> I don't no 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 no. It should be thawed. It should be fully thawed. We'll get to that. Anyway, um in 1945, 
Ed Walmeyer Jr. created the corn dog. God rest his soul. Yay, Ed. Yes. I love Ed. Ed, Ed, you, you and me, bruh. I, <laughs> I love oh you, gosh. Ed. <laughs> hey, you know what? What? Ed's name has the last two letters of your husband's name. Yeah. I mean, yeah, but Ovid didn't make a corn dog. I mean, I love him, but he well, didn't make a corn dog. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Valid. I was just pointing out there was a commonality there. And I think we, I speak for both of us when we say, Ed, we love you. We have kind of like a junk food crush on you, man. Those corn dogs. That's the happy food of my youth and adulthood right oh my there. Gosh. Yes. And so moving on, because so much fried food is so good. In 1976, when I was two years old, the first Roscoe's House of Chicken and Waffles opened in LA and set the wheels in motion for popularizing the dish that was already started in Harlem, New York. And I think if you love fried chicken, you've had chicken and waffles, right? Well, okay. So here's the thing. The first time I was ever introduced to chicken and waffles, I was like, these people are weird. Like, why? (laughs) But granted, I think I've also told the story that the first time I ever had chicken nuggets, not the first time I ever had chicken nuggets, but when I was living in Georgia as a kid, and I was yeah. at the lunchroom, chicken nuggets, and the kids were eat- eating it with honey. I'm like, you people are crazy. That's not normal. <laughs> because growing up in a Puerto Rican home, you never like put honey on your chicken nuggets, and you never ate waffles with chicken, because chicken was strictly a savory food. Man, right. was I wrong, and did my eyes open up? Chicken and waffles yeah. is the bomb. Sweet and savory. It's oh, heaven, it's so right? Good. And especially if you put legit maple syrup on top of that thing, and then you really are a really good waffle and a really yeah. crispy chicken. Heck yeah. Yeah. And I want yeah, like that's... bone on chicken. I don't want this. I hate it when I go someplace and they're like chicken and waffles and they give you like chicken tenders and waffles. No. <laughs> No. Okay, I I have been in a restaurant with you before when somebody brought out a piece of boneless, skinless something that was deep fried, and you actually looked like someone just kicked your dog. <laughs> I mean, so upsetting. The the range of emotions on your face goes from oh my gosh, I'm so disappointed to I'm going to shank the chef. Uh, it's just not the same. I need it on the bone, man. <laughs> she wants to gnaw on that thing. I want to get juicy. Yes. Okay. Well. Okay, moving on from chicken and waffles. In 1995, the ever brilliant Scottish people created the deep fried Mars bar, which I have never tried, but I am not opposed to trying. Wait, like the candy bar? Yes. The Scots invented the deep fried candy bar? Yes, they did. It was at at some fair. I don't know, like the, I, I don't know the name of the fair. I'll look it up. But it was an event and it took off like wildfire people just were dropping mars bars and deep fryers all over the world at that point i think it's kind of like a tempura batter that goes on the mars bar again i haven't tried it i mean i've but tried a deep tried fried it loves it snickers bar same okay how difference. was it well it was awesome but i don't remember <laughs> i mean you put stuff in batter you put it in a deep fryer what else what else what else do you need right you know what i mean right so well okay in answer to that question in 2006, somebody in Texas thought you needed to figure out how to deep fry Coca-Cola. I'm not sure how. I'm not sure why. But they did it. I, I believe it, it. this was the Texas State Fair. And evidently, people love it. 
Yeah, I went to the Texas State Fair and I never tried that one. Don't remember. Did you go in 2006? Not in 2006, but usually if it starts at one point, it continues on. You know what I mean? Okay. I don't remember. I'm really, I'm getting really fixated on the corn dogs when I go to the state fair. So. Well, that's because you have a soul. <laughs> but I'm assuming they would freeze it and batter it and deep fry it. You'd think they have to, right? Yeah. I mean, but I will say, I think it's recent enough that whoever invented the deep fried Coca-Cola is still hanging on to their secret because I did not find any recipes online for it. Interesting. I don't, yeah. Yes. I, I don't know how that would work. Other than, I have heard about deep fried butter, which is also... Um, um, I might draw the line there. I mean, I will deep fry... Like, I, I'm not kidding you. If somebody deep fried a piece of cardboard, I would probably try to bite it. I'm just saying... <laughs> I feel but like you'll in do the that cardboard, case, but you cross the, you you draw the line on the butter. I draw the line at the butter. I don't feel like there's any redemption for my tongue in there. Like the deep fried cardboard, that could soak up the oil and be salty and you know be a bit of a challenge. But I I could try it. I'd try it. What? But the deep fried butter, I just feel like my heart would be ready to explode. I think both are like a bad. Did I idea. lose you? <laughs> well, no, I'm not. Say- I'm not advocating for the deep frying of cardboard. <laughs> I am saying that if somebody put a piece of deep fried cardboard next to a like a stick of deep fried butter, I think I'd probably lift up the piece of cardboard to try it. That's all I'm saying. Okay. I mean, okay. <laughs> all right. Well, let's move on. This is getting awkward. <laughs> I feel your judgment raining down on me. Okay. So let's talk about, pretty please, how and what to deep fry in the comfort of our own homes. So before I guess we talk about deep frying in the comfort of our own home, tongue twister there, uh, we need to talk about maybe technique and the deep frying tools that we need in order to get the method right and also to make the whole thing easier. Because having the right tools makes everything easy. I agree. And they don't have to be expensive tools. We're not telling you you have to go out and spend $100 to deep fry in your home. But I also want to point out, there's a misconception that fried food is always overly greasy, right? And if it's done correctly, it isn't. Because the moisture that's evaporating out of the food repels the oil as it exits the food. So the hot oil produces steam in the food, and the oil can't travel upstream, so to speak, against the steam. So the steam keeps the food from absorbing too much oil. What's really important about deep frying is making sure that your oil is hot enough um, and that your food doesn't just kind of sit there in the oil at a low temperature where it can just kind of absorb the oil that's um, around it. Right. Because if you keep it hot enough, that steam is going to keep the oil from absorbing in past that outer layer of the food. An easy way to test if your oil is hot enough or if it's too cold, of course, a thermometer helps, but... Hello. (laughs) um, (laughs) If you add a little bit of the batter that you're, whatever it is that you're frying or the item that you're frying and it, it bounces up pretty quickly, you're good to go. If it sinks and it just kind of sits there, um, that means that your oil is too cold. Right. And if it, if it, bounds back up and it instantly burns, it means your oil's too hot. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The visuals are pretty helpful, too, with this. And you don't have to rely just on the visuals because we 
like we touched on real briefly there, if you have a thermometer, it takes all the guesswork out of it. It really is the easiest way to, especially if you're going to be frying in batches, um, a thermometer is really important because there's a misconception. uh, You know, if you don't fry food often, you don't really know how oil works and how food absorbs the heat of the oil. So if you are deep frying in batches, you can't just fry an item one right after the other. You have to give the oil time to come back up to temperature. And also for me, it's kind of like the opposite of carryover. So when you cook a steak and you take it off the grill, you want to take the steak off the grill eight to 10 degrees before it reaches your desired temperature because the heat carries over. And the opposite applies in oil. So if you are wanting to deep fry something and you have like a large amount of stuff, especially at like for 350 degrees, let's say, you want to get the oil maybe um, five, I would say a five degrees is a, a good amount. 10, you're pushing it, but somewhere around there over what you actually want it to cook at. Because right. once you add the food, you'll be amazed if you watch the thermometer that the thermometer will suddenly, the temperature will just drop. Yeah, it'll plummet like 10, 15 degrees even. It's pretty dramatic. So that's why I always kind of take the oil up a little bit past of the temperature I want it to be. And you have to wait between batches to let the oil come back up to temperature. You can't just fish it out and then drop something back in because what's going to end up happening is that your oil temperature is going to be too low and then you will end up with a greasy product. And on that note too, I should point out that while this is true in just about every method of cooking, it's especially important to remember not to overcrowd your pot when you're deep frying. Yes. Um, both because you will drop the temperature of the oil but also and safety. because you might displace enough oil that it could boil up over the top and either onto a flame or onto a burner and start a fire, which nobody wants to do. Even when And you I said think... I was going to try to make people less scared, but I think I might have scared people by saying that. In other words, just don't overcrowd your pan. Yeah, that's very important. Even when you start to think it's kind of getting a little high, if the temperature starts to go up, that Oil is going to like start to bubble more, which means it's going to come up a little bit higher. To err on the side of caution, just put a few items less than you would initially think to, especially if you are not experienced at deep frying. Correct. Yes. And speaking of experience with deep frying, I'd like to talk for a second about whether or not you think people need to have a deep fryer, a dedicated countertop electric deep fryer. I mean, they're nice to have, but you don't have to have one. Like I have a deep fryer. It's in a box in my garage. Um, (laughs) That sounds like a great place to deep fry. Yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, I don't deep fry very often and I don't deep fry the quantities that would really justify me pulling it out. You know what I mean? Right. Um, Yeah. Since it's just the two of us, uh, a small pot, a heavy bottom uh, Dutch oven suffices for the most time, for the most part, for just the two of us. If I was doing something in large quantities where I'm wanting to turn over quickly and I'm doing it for, you know, like we have family over or something like that, that's when I will pull out that deep fryer just because it's 
designed to quickly come up to temperature and to automatically regulate the temperature for you. Um, it, yes, which is a nice thing. It's a nice, it's a feature, little less work. Yeah, when you're kind of trying to do quick turnover, but you don't have to. It's not a must, you know. Correct. So yeah, I I have to say I also have a deep fryer, and um, for some reason or another, I'm I'm not blaming anybody in my family as I look in the general direction where they are all sitting. Not blaming anybody, but it's not working anymore. So. <laughs> Um, <laughs> we discovered this after we filled it with oil to make a big batch of birthday fried chicken. And what we ended up doing was just pouring the oil in a big pasta pot with a heavy bottom and rotating through that way. It took a little bit more attention because we had to watch the temperature of the oil a little bit more carefully, but it worked fine. So if you don't want to have a dedicated deep fryer rattling around in a box in your garage, don't feel obligated. But if it helps relax you a little bit because you don't have to worry so much about what the temperature is. It's it's not an expensive piece of kit to have in your kitchen. No, it's not. And it's even justifiable if you're only doing the deep frying on special occasion once or twice a year. It just kind of makes things a little bit easier. What is important, though, is that you have the right kind of pot. You can't yes. just have any... You know, we all had that moment where we had that starter kit pot, <laughs> you know, that it was like really thin, probably yes. coated with some nonstick material, maybe from Ikea, maybe from, you know, you, you know which one I'm talking about, where the handles just oh, yeah, it screwed on with the one little screw and everything. Yeah, I still have one because I don't know. I'm not sure why I can't bring myself to part with it, but it's one of the first pans I ever had. The handle is, it has fallen off three or four times at this point. <laughs> My husband has riveted, you know, it's riveted back on there. I use, I let the kids use it. I don't care what happens to it. I take it camping with us. It goes directly on the flame. It is a craptastic pot, but I would never deep fry it. Yeah, usually the the metal of those pots is just way too thin to properly handle and regulate heat like it just they yeah. make them diff it's not that you can't heat oil in them you can it's just that it, <laughs> it's difficult to manage the heat of the oil either it gets it just gets screaming hot way too fast that's basically the biggest issue is that it just gets yeah really hot really fast and it doesn't heat evenly so the best thing to do is either like a really good quality heavy bottom stainless steel type pot or better yet some kind of cast iron pot like a dutch oven or something like that those are the the two best i think the dutch oven is better agreed yeah but those are your two best options you want it to be sturdy you want the bottom to be thick you want it to have dependable handles so they don't like give out on you <laughs> don't, when you're making they don't a break off <laughs> with a pot full of Boiling oil in your hands. Yeah. I think the most important thing, though, out of all of that to keep in mind is to have that heavy bottomed pan. And if maybe a little mnemonic device to help you remember it, you need a heavy bottom pan to make fried food to give you a heavy bottom. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Oh my gosh. That, I was like, where is she going with this? <laughs> well, now you know. <laughs> Heavy bottoms all around. Yes. 
Fact check, true. So another thing <laughs> you want is really helpful is a spider. Yes. Not the arachnid kind, but the kind <laughs> that you use to scoop out fried items from a deep fryer. Um, they're usually, you've seen them. It's like a basket at the end of a handle is essentially what it is. Yeah. And it's usually stainless steel or a mesh shallow basket at the end of a long handle. Yeah. A spider is great or even tongs, of course. Uh, work well. And I would say nice, nice locking tongs. Yeah. You know, and don't don't have the kind of tongs that um, shift every time you try to close them. You want a good pair of tongs when you're dangling something over boiling oil. Sturdy metal tongs. Yes, please. No, like, I'm, unless it says somewhere on the packaging for some reason that the really, you know what, don't just don't use any kind of plastic <laughs> silicone anything like just, no, don't just use metal. <laughs> I bought I bought a pair of tongs once when we were we were traveling. I I can't even remember what the circumstances were, but I was cooking in a kitchen that didn't have tongs. And so I went to a local store and it was, you know, sort of one of those hardware slash bait shop yeah. slash mini grocery uh -huh. type places. And I was like, oh my gosh, they have tongs. Fantastic. And oh, what do you know? They're only two bucks. So I grabbed them. That should have been my first clue. <laughs> And I got back into the kitchen and I tried to pick something up out of the pan with the tongs and they were so cheaply made and so flimsy that they actually inverted around the food. <laughs> like one of the, the indentations went the other way when I pressed oh on the food. Oh my gosh. Like, never mind. I'd be better off just, you know, flipping these with my fingers. Yeah. But it was, um, yeah. So not a good investment. Spend a couple on bucks on a pair of tongs. <laughs> No, 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 definitely, definitely not. I actually really like to use the, um, like the flat spatula. Do you know what mm, I'm like the fish yeah. kind of spatula? I like to use yeah, those. Yeah, I love my fish spat for yeah. that. Those are uh, good for deep frying also. Yeah, they've got a nice surface area. They drain well because of the perforations in it. They're all around a really good tool, a good multi-tool to have in your kitchen too. And if you, if one of your hesitations about deep frying is the smell that you get in the house, totally valid. It's one of those smells that even though delicious at first, afterwards, it'll drive you crazy. It doesn't age well. No, it does not. <laughs> so there's... Absolutely nothing wrong if you can get your hands on a good either, um, oh my gosh, what do you call these? A burner. Um, the one that like with the magnetic power thing. Oh my gosh. What is that? <laughs> Induction burner. Thank you. <laughs> I was, I'm sitting here thinking, I have no idea what this woman is talking about. <laughs> What is so, magnetic? What? <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Induction burner. Yes. yes. Okay. A portable burner. Yes. <laughs> Any kind of portable burner, you can take it outside to your carport on a sturdy table and you can do your deep frying outside. That's usually what we do. I either use oh, yeah. my plug-in induction. Um, preferably if you have some good quality camp stove that you can use gas or propane, that works way better. I find that induction burners are good, but they still get a hot spot in the center. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Yep. So, um, but that's a great way. And if you actually get one of those deep fryers, the countertop deep fryers, you can just take it outside, plug it in, deep fry outside. Oh yeah. We actually have a folding table set up outside of our kitchen on the deck and there's a outlet right 
right below it. Is that your and de- we'll plug our your designated fry station outside? Yeah, you know it. <laughs> you know it because it's so much more convenient than making your entire house smell like a fryolator. Yeah. I mean, frying is for, I consider deep frying for special occasions, um, just so because do I. it requires a little bit of extra work. And then there's also the challenge of what to do with your oil afterwards. Right. And I would like to point out that I've I've played this game a million times. Don't try to mess with that oil until it comes back to room temperature. Uh, just don't. Yeah. well i i had somebody tell me i can't stand the smell of oil in my kitchen so as soon as i'm done frying before we even eat i'm straining the oil and i'm thinking are you insane yeah no do you want an oil burn don't do that just let it come to room temp don't sweat it and if you want if you have not done a lot of food in that oil you can pour it through a couple layers of cheesecloth into an airtight container and stash it in your refrigerator and use it again to to deep fry. So you don't have to toss that oil. That's exactly what I was going to say. Usually the only time I don't like to, I mean, I I would say that you could get out of like a standard four to six quart pot of deep fried oil, you can get at least four uses out of it, you know, depending on what you're deep frying in there, as long as you strain it and store it properly. I think my, my, Big exception to that would be if I've done fish in it. I was about to say that. I don't want to hang on to it then. Like the seafood, I'm I tend not to, but if you, especially if you're doing French fries, like or oh, yeah. any kind of like vegetable kind of thing, then yeah, for sure you got way more of um, shelf life out of it than if you're doing seafood or fried chicken. So I agree. Um, I agree. Yeah. So don't panic. You don't have to get rid of it right away. If it is kind of smelly, just put a lid on it, let it cool and move along. Deal with it later. Don't handle it while and it is hot. I I think yeah. a number one tip for deep frying, a number one safety tip. Do not. Hot oil is very hot. The hot oil. Yes. Hot oil can hurt you. So another speaking of safety tips and hot oil and how to avoid being hurt, can we share a couple of our tips on that? Because I know we both have them. I mean, my main tip is don't get the hot oil on yourself. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll take this one. Let, let me run with this one a little bit then. So I would say another thing to keep in mind is I know you're afraid of that boiling oil, but do not toss the food item into the oil oh, absolutely. from a distance or from a, a height. You want to actually get your hand as close as you can comfortably get it to the oil to lower the food in before you begin releasing it. And if you are Don't very toss it. skittish about getting your hand as close as possible, um, you can put it into a spider and slowly lower or, it in. Or use a pair of decent tongs. Yeah, and slowly put it in. But don't like stand back and like give it a <laughs> toss. Cause yeah, I watched a friend toss an egg roll in from... I swear she must have been like a foot away from that thing. And she goes, oh, my gosh, look, it's splashing. Like, yes, because you just threw something into it. It It is splashing. It will splash at you if you do that. You have to get close. You have to get personal with that boiling oil. It Just try not to be afraid. Lower it in. It makes sense from a physics point of view. And also... If you are breading what you're deep frying, and in most cases you will be doing some sort of batter or breading, allow some of it to build up on your hands because that actually protects your skin if there is anything popping in the oil as you lower things into it. 
You can have a snack later, too. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> That's disgusting. So, but those, I, yeah. Don't freak out when you put something in and it does pop a little bit, especially like when you add something that has been frozen into a deep fryer, it will start to pop. Yes. For example, also when I make tostones, I which are twice fried plantains, um, I <laughs> and I delicious them in seasoned salted water before I put them in the fryer. They do pop, um, but that addition kind of gives it its curly little edges. Um, so I don't skip it. I just I'm just careful, and I just prepare myself. A screen is also very handy if you want to put something in and slide the screen over it. That's a really good. What I thought you were gonna. I thought you were going to say a scream no. is also handy. Like, ah! No, a screen, a fry screen. Do you know what I mean? The fry screen? I do, but it was funnier my way. <laughs> but a fry screen is literally just circular on a handle, a screen, and you just lay it on top. And that helps prevent yes. splatter. I will say in my experience, what that does for me is diffuse the area that is now covered in a fine mist of oil. So for me personally, I, I leave the screen off, but if you're going to have a lot of popping, it will reduce the big blobs of oil that might be flying out. I concur. Yeah. And then previously we talked about thermometers, but we just I just want to point out and clarify that you need either a candy or frying thermometer. You don't want yes, to just they're have- a little different. Yeah, you just don't want to have like some little- you know, instant read thermometer that you have to keep poking in there or (laughs) they're specifically designed to sit in the pot. They clip onto the pot. They have like a buffer at the bottom so they don't touch the metal at the bottom. Um, And they will give you a regulator. A, A lot of them will tell you, especially like if it's a candy one, like what temperature you're reaching for hard candy, same thing for oil, what temperature, it kind of gives you like a little guide. And those are well worth the investment, even if it's not. And they're not expensive. Not at all. Like if you're not using a countertop deep fryer that can regulate the temperature on its own, then you need to get a deep frying thermometer. Yeah. And the, the other thing about them is they tend to have a longer probe so they can go into a deeper pot and they've got the, like you like you said, the clip that goes on the side. But if you have this tiny little instant read thermometer, it's only going to reach, you know, even if you figure out a way to rig it to the side of your pot. Which is not safe. It's not going to reach. <laughs> no, it is not. We've covered this, especially with boiling oil involved. Um, Safety it's first. It's not going to reach far enough. <laughs> it's not going to reach far enough into the oil to give you a legitimate idea of what the temperature actually is. So go with the oil thermometer, it's and, five, six bucks at a big box store, yeah. maybe. And the nice thing is, is that they can hang out in the oil while you're frying. So Right. And then you can use your instant read thermometer that you already bought because we talked about how much you'd love that mm-hmm. in our top 10-ish kitchen By the way, I bought a salad episode. spinner, side note, after that conversation from oh, last week, got a salad spinner. Fantastic. <laughs> now we need to figure out how to deep fry salad. <laughs> or maybe not. No. 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 Let's let's not. But let's speaking talk, of that, if we can, yes. Can we talk about speaking of that delicious fried foods that we love? Oh yes, please. Not salad. Let's do that. <laughs> no, I mean I love salad on the side, but when it comes to deep fried foods, 
I have to go with a classic first. And I have to actually brag on my husband for a moment. That man makes the best fried chicken I have ever had in my life. And I have a, uh, my grandma was from the South and she made amazing fried chicken. But my husband's fried chicken is the You've best. You've always I've ever raved about his fried chicken and how he makes it for you every birthday. Oh, yeah. When am I going to get my fried chicken? He does. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the solution to that is that we get together with the husbands and we make Lindy cook for That's us. Right. That's a good, that sounds like an excellent plan to me. Yeah. And I'm, I know he listens to the podcast, so um, hi, honey. Prepare yourself, Lindy. Um, we'd like some. We would like some fried chicken <laughs> now. <laughs> but I do have his recipe on the blog. It is titled "The Evil Genius's Fried Chicken." Oh, that's funny because because he's an evil genius his, scientist. Yes, I know. Yeah, that is his pet. His pet name um, from my family, the Evil Genius, and his fried chicken is evil and genius. It is. <laughs> so darn good what about you what's Hmm. i know you have fried foods on the blog because i've eaten a couple of them yeah it's hard for me to pin one down because fry foods is or fried food makes frequent appearances in puerto rican cuisine specifically when it comes to (laughs) street foods Uh and i love them all like there are so many times it's really kind of glorious um i'll go home Put on a few extra pounds because <laughs> we make the round. So at like a typical Sunday afternoon or something like that, you know, you hop into the car and you just drive around the island and there are little kiosks throughout your drive on the side of the road and they're selling some st- some type of roadside fried food. And I would say <sighs> one of my favorites to, oh my gosh, I can't even, okay, let me think. Okay. One of my favorites that I will make at home, I'm going to, I'm going to categorize make at home and stuff that I will get. Yes. So that I will make at home is uh, fried plantains or tostones is what I like, is what they're called. They're twice fried plantains. So you take a green plantain, you slice it, you deep fry it, you squish it, then you dip it. I dip mine in seasoned um, water and then I, you fry them again. And they are glorious. And then you make like a mayo ketchup and you dip them in the mayo ketchup. They are so good. Lots of salt. I mean, I fought my sister many times for the last tostón at the dining room table. Like, it it got violent. I'm going to be the person who um, backs you up on this because I have eaten tostones at your table. And I know they're, oh, they are so good. Well, and it's funny because I am so particular about them. You've been with me a few times where we've gone to a restaurant and they happen to have tostones on the menu. And I'm like interrogating the poor waiter because I'm asking, (laughs) how thick are they? Are they pre-fried? Are they made to order? Like there's all of these elements that I consider before I will order tostones at a restaurant. Because the thing is, is that because they're twice fried, sometimes some restaurants will save themselves time and they'll go ahead and make them and then just keep them under a heat lamp. No bueno. I don't like them like that. No. Uh, Then the other thing they do sometimes is that they cut them too thick and then you end up with like a big fat dry tostón. Also no bueno. Um, (laughs) Or do we have a third no bueno? Do I have a third no bueno? If you squish it the wrong way. So if you... (laughs) 
but it's true. So we have three no buenos. You have to cut it at a bias, and then you have to squish it from like for if the banana is sitting upright. Do you know what I mean? You can't squish yes. it. Like cut it straight and then squish it on its side. Like it's just that's not okay. right. That's that's wrong. But you have. You have a tutorial on the blog on how to do this correctly, right? I, I don't have like a picture tutorial, but I do explain how to do it. I do have a post on how to make those well, stories and that all is of my sufficient. tips on how to make them. I hope. And then if I yes. am back home in Puerto Rico, there are so many. I like bacalaitos, <laughs> which are salted cod fritters. There's alcapurria, oh, yes. which are... Um, uh, you make like a masa of plantain and ben- usually like green banana. Well, it's usually just green banana, not plantain. But everybody has their own recipe. You fill it with meat and then you deep fry it. It's glorious. I don't, it's, oh, it's like some okay. other type of fritter. Everything's fried. And then uh, pastelillos would probably be my third one, which is like a really tiny empanada. So there's, there's a difference in Puerto Rico between empanada and pastelillo. So pastelillo, usually okay. the dough is thinner and the pastelillo is smaller. The empanada, the dough is usually flakier and bigger. Like the empanada is bigger. I'm sorry, the empanadilla is bigger um, and filled with whatever filling. So all I know is if I go to Puerto Rico and it's deep fried it's and you tell me to so eat it, good. I will. There's so many. There's just so many things out there. They're just so good. There's Okay, so I have another one that I love. <laughs> Ooh, what's this? It's it's mashed potatoes filled with um, beef or whatever filling <laughs> and then deep fried. Why have you never made that for me? Well, because they're kind of labor intensive. I, I'm planning on doing them hopefully within the next few weeks here to post them on thenoshery.com, by the way. Um, so stay tuned for that. <laughs> well, maybe you could hold off and make it when I'm visiting. And then I can eat them for yeah, you. Yeah, but every time we talk about, we spend so much time like just hunkered down recording that we're ordering takeout You're the right. entire time that we're recording. <laughs> That's right. Um, this this program brought to you by Sushi Ritos. <laughs> that and Mr. So, T's pizza. Back- <laughs> That's right. Well, so, but, but I do have one other fried food that I want to talk about that I make at home. And... It is fried mozzarella. I don't make fried mozzarella sticks like you. I was about to say, is this like the steaks that you told me that one time? Those cheese steaks. Yes, yes. So it you start. I was it a burger episode that we talked about putting them on a burger? Oh yes, yes. Because I put them on a burger. I do put them on a burger. So check out the Uh, burger episode. Holy! You begin. Yeah the the burger episode. The burger episode made me hungry. This this episode is also making me hungry. But for the fried mozzarella steaks, you begin with fresh mozzarella. So not the bricks of mozzarella, but balls of fresh mozzarella. And you cut a thick slab and you dredge them through flour. And then you um, dip them in a mixture of beaten egg and milk. And then you dredge them in a third step. So this is like three-step coating for your frying. Um, the third mixture is panko breadcrumbs with seasoning. Oh my goodness. And once you have coated both sides of your mozzarella slab in that, you shallow fry them in about an inch of oil and flip them halfway through the cooking. And then you let it, you have to let them sit for about three minutes so they get on nice and a golden. paper towel lined plate. Right. Or you'll have a giant 
volcano of molten mozzarella pouring down your chin, which is not a pleasant situation. But if you wait for three minutes after it rests, you can cut into it or you can pick it up and just eat it. Eat it. I just mean, nobody's going to judge. Face. <laughs> <laughs> no one is going to judge because it is fried cheese, people. And who doesn't love fried cheese? That is a mozzarella stick like on steroids. Like that ain't no Sonic mozzarella yeah. stick. No, no, no. And then you go eat a mozzarella stick at a, at a restaurant. And you're like, this is all right, but it could be a steak, baby. <laughs> a fried cheese steak. Not like the sandwich, exactly. but like, you know what I mean? Like a fried slab of cheese. I know exactly what yeah, you mean. We just talked about it. Of course yes. you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I do know what you mean. Well, fried food is most definitely glorious. Except for the deep fried butter. I don't really think there's much that can go wrong with fried food. I mean, that's probably not true if we really think about it. <laughs> but for the most part, let's just say the default is fact. Delicious. Yes. Like fry it. It's awesome. By the way, we're still getting ready for a question and answer episode. So please send us emails with your questions at myplateisalwaysfull at gmail.com or reach out to us on Instagram or Facebook. And in the meantime, you can find me, Rebecca, at foodiewithfamily.com. And you can find me, Mercedes, at thenoshery.com. And you can find the podcast at myplateisalwaysfull.com. Please like and share, listen to all of our episodes, download them, leave a review, feed the algorithm so others can find us. Uh, you can, <laughs> I mean, it's important. Otherwise, we're just like two crazy ladies talking about food with nobody. She's right. <laughs> And we might still be crazy ladies talking about food, but, it, but we know you're but out there. at least there. we're talking to someone about it, right? <laughs> exactly. That being said, you can find us in all major podcasting apps. Thanks for hanging out with us and listening to My Plate is Always Full. And until next time, stay hungry. Hi, friends. I'm Miss Sadie from The Noshery. And I'm Rebecca from foodiewithfamily.com. Oh, we're... Oh, sorry. Doing the whole website? No. (laughs) I don't know. Take two. I was like, are we doing our whole address now? No. (laughs) Okay. And today we're making no. (laughs) (laughs) No, we aren't. Uh, I have sweaty pits. I have sweaty pits. (laughs) Oh, you better put that on at the end of the show. We need... Are you there? Yeah, I'm listening. It's just he's still going. So I was like, is she just pausing or what are we? Um, I'm I'm now pausing. (laughs) Hank, can you eat when I'm done? Come here. I was, I thought you were telling me Hank didn't like fried cheese. I was going to be like, are you giving your dog fried cheese? Five five food. Five food is going, yes. Excuse me, miss. I speak jive. (laughs) Thanks for hanging out with us. And then you go. Okay. (laughs) You want to throw throw that to me one more time and I'll catch this time. (laughs) It's like...